Welcome to Ear Full of Dirt, bringing you the latest Major League Rugby news, views, and abuse. Now here are your hosts, Aaron, Dan, and Victor. Well, how's it going this evening, everyone? So let's just get into the meat of everything we've done, because I can't believe how much stuff just appears out of thin air all of a sudden. So the podcast, courtesy of Victor and Dan, went down to Philadelphia, got credential, shout out to Premiership Rugby for loving the media and hooking us up with two credentials uh, for Newcastle v. Saracens. And then you, uh, Austin Elite Rugby, goes out there and makes a splash hire, signing Alan Yardet. And then we've got, you know, a bunch of other rumors. Two signings showed up. And, you know, maybe somebody else wants to establish a rugby beachhead in the United States. So let's get to Newcastle Saracens. So the pod dispatched Dan and Victor, courtesy of their own dime, uh, to Newcastle versus Saracens in Pennsylvania in the wonderful suburb of Chester outside Philadelphia. So just tell us what it was like. Uh, I'm going to start off with two things really quick. One, Chester is not a lovely suburb. That's probably the last thing you'd want to call it. Second, we weren't weren't dispatched by the podcast. We decided to go because we happened to live about two hours away and happened to serve other purposes. So those are the first two things I'm going to say, um, at least on that part. But, But basically... It was a really fun experience. All the media and um, articles written afterwards basically said how there is no one at the game, which was pretty much true. Um, probably wasn't the best timing for the game. Um, I know that Dan Lyle, among other people, mentioned that March just makes a lot more sense moving forward, doesn't compete with uh, college football local rugby or college rugby and also the NFL, even though it was on Sunday. Um, so it was a learning experience for them. Um, the Talent Energy Stadium was absolutely gorgeous. It was really small. It was fits 18,000 18, people, but it was only really one level. Um, but it has a really nice shot of a bridge in the background and the river, so it's really nice and a nice day. Um, but otherwise, I had a great time. I, I loved watching the rugby. The scoreline didn't seem very impressive, but it was fun rugby the entire time. Um, there were some Newcastle Fal- Falcons fans that flew in for the game specifically, about 20 of them, I'd say. And they brought their banner, brought their flag, did whatever. They were chanting, they were shouting. Uh, so that was a lot of fun to have them there. And then after the game, we were actually able to go up to this VIP bar area, which I thought was because we were able to get these media passes. Um, however, I saw children running around and they were getting autographs from Chris Wiles and other players. And I realized that they didn't have media passes. So I think that anyone could have gone up there, but it was still great to go up there. We shook hands with a lot of players, interviewed a couple U.S. focused players um, like TT and uh, Chris Wiles. We talked to Dan Lyle. We talked to Dan Payne. I shook Shock Burger's hand, and it's huge. It's probably twice the size of my hand. It's ginormous. That guy should play basketball. Uh, I know he's South African, but he's freaking huge. Um, so that's pretty much it. I, I had a great time. It was my second professional match, really my first professional match. The only other match I've been to was the U.S.-Ireland match uh, this past June. So to be able to actually see it all happening in front of you, 
it's just really exciting. Um, I was only about five rows back from the action. So to see the players come off the field for the Saracens and then just sit on the bench, like within arm distance, I could have actually hit them if I wanted to, but I didn't because I was relatively smart. Um, that was just an awesome experience. Got to talk to some guys. You can really hear them on the field too, calling out everything, which I think was partially because of the fact that there was really no one there at the field. Um, so Victor, I know you were there with me. I covered a lot that you may agree with, but from your point of view, because we didn't actually sit together. You sat actually on the other side of the field for the most part. So your perspective, tell me everything or tell us everything. Well, first of all, to our listeners, uh, good evening, guys. Welcome to Earful of Dirt. Uh, so, yes, guys, I was sitting in a different section than Dan's. Um, I was actually on the field seating, which is pretty much as the name suggests, right there next to the field, while Dan was actually sitting literally in front of me, just across, like on the other side of the field. So our angles were very uh, different for that matter. I got front row seat. The problem is that most of the game actually happened on the other side of the field and not where myself and a group uh, counting me uh, five were sitting at. So yeah, on field sitting, we were only five of us. And my group was on one side and then there was the, uh, another couple that was on the other. We had, a, we had a blast, which by the way, shout outs to the military couple that was sitting next to me from Washington State and shout outs to a fellow Victor from France who was sitting next to me and to the English couple that was all the way down, shout outs to them although I didn't get a chance to talk to them. But moving from that, guys, the atmosphere was great. Uh, the venue itself, the energy that the attendees brought with them. Um, keep in mind that Newcastle was uh, put as the home team, but to me, it felt like it was Saracens Nation all the way. I was on my, with my Saracens jersey, and it took about 30 to 40 minutes for me to see anyone with a Newcastle kid at all. So that was really hilarious, on, on at least on that part. Now, the game itself, it, it was a very one-sided affair, by the way, going on uh, on the part of series. Game finished 29-7, to 7, as you probably know if you have kept that with social media. By the way, Newcastle also scored a beautiful try, courtesy of Bernie Goneva there in 14, who was coming back actually uh, from injury, and that was actually his first game coming back in, uh, for the, uh, yeah, his first game coming back to the season. Also for Saracens, the first uh, try was scored by the homeboy PA all the way, Chris Wiles. That was a beautiful try on his part uh, as well. Uh, but unfortunately, the Saracens bulldozer just went over Newcastle, and unfortunately, their efforts were cut short. Uh, now. Speaking of efforts, it wasn't really shown on on the scoreboard because there was definitely effort on the field. Newcastle played as best as, as they could, but unfortunately, we're talking about the two-time European champions here. So I wasn't really not uh, I was I was really not, not super surprised that a mid-table to low-table team like Newcastle was going to finish with such a score against uh, against Harrison's. Um, then I, by the way, had the opportunity of interviewing all the Americans involved, including, of course, Chris Wiles that I mentioned before, but also, as Dan mentioned, Titi Lamositele. We also got Mr. 
Dan Lyle, and as well as Mr. Dan Payne. Uh, I want to thank all of them for giving us pictures and interviews. By the way, Daniel, you need to still give me that picture that we took with Chris Wiles, because Veronica, your girlfriend, did not take the picture with my phone instead of it did it with you yours. So you need to send me that picture because I need to post it soon, bro. Especially posted. I had to no because we had to post it on by the way guys uh, for those of you listening um we have a new instagram page and that's falling on me so i need to put that picture on instagram as well which i didn't get a chance to do so so please uh i know you forgot (laughs) so daniel please send me that picture so we can put it on instagram also a shout outs and thank you again to mr dan lyle uh, for hooking us up with some media passes for Dan and myself since we were able to go to the VIP lounge and and check it out. We had great conversations with the players I mentioned. I shook the hands of Mr. Schrockberger, where yes, his hands are huge. I, um, <laughs> oh my God, my favorite part was when we finished talking with Titi Lamuzitele, um, a gentleman named Duncan Taylor, Scottish international, was approaching our way, and I unfortunately confused him with Nick Isikwe. And when I called him out, oh my God, Mr. Isikwe, he said, what do you call me? And and he found it quite hilarious that I confused him. Mm-hmm. So the thing is that they're almost the same shade of whitish brown, I guess. Same and same rice. Exactly, I guess. No, because they're mixed. And I'm sure, I'm pretty sure they're mixed probably with black. I'm sure of that. And they have that same poofy Afro type of thing, almost like a Jufro, which, by the way, looks really cool on both Duncan and um, and Nick. So that was hilarious, confusing them. I, I will say, you... when, yes, uh, when that happened, we just finished our interview with TT, and he, mm-hmm. was, he was really kind of um, quiet and you know, straight face for the most part. But the second he went up to Duncan and confused him, he had the biggest smile on his face and he just couldn't, he couldn't breathe. He walked away because apparently that's happens all the time. So <laughs> okay. Victor, Victor made TT laugh. So that's yeah, why I like that interview. That's right. He, he had, yeah, he had definitely the biggest laugh because he's, as, as someone of Pacific Island descent, he's very mellow. But once you catch him in the act, he just like, his emotions just burst i do actually have a picture of you calling Islander, i've always i've met is always mellow unless you know it's time to kill something oh my god that's right <laughs> but yes uh that's by the way that's another picture you also need to pass uh, pass out or if you can't put yourself on on the yeah. instagram victor's like, victor's like hit me in the dms yeah that's, no seriously like <laughs> that was really cool uh, uh, by the way another thing too i got to talk to juan figalo uh, the argentinian international him and i obviously as hispanic spoke spoke in spanish i didn't get a chance to talk to marcelo bosch the other argentinian but juan who by the way his wife is expecting a baby uh, he was uh, and of course congratulations to juan uh, gracias juan por ofrecerme una pequeña entrevista aunque fue algo privado y and of course thank you very much for the nice kind words that you say about the Dominican Republic and how much you enjoy my country así que te espero nuevamente en República Dominicana Juan cuando puedas y no solamente con tu esposa y, y también con el nuevo bebé que ya se avecina we'll put the translation up later for everyone yeah. else Exactly. That's just that's for, for Rafael and whichever or whatever other Hispanic sure. is listening. Obviously, I'm shout sure out to Rafa. Listening. Yeah, or, or Raf, of course. Shout out to him. You know, I gotta say, uh, while I was watching you guys or watching the pictures come in through Instagram this weekend, and then uh, reading uh, texts and emails from you uh, on the side, I was super jealous. Uh, just really, really freaking jealous of uh, the experiences you guys got to have up there, and so. 
really looking forward to when uh, MLR season kicks off and uh, that'll give us all a chance to go be uh, get our press on at uh, some different events. So kind of looking forward to that. So uh, I'm curious what you guys thoughts on uh, specifically on the attendance part of it. And I know we've kind of mentioned it before, but um, I have written down that the uh, total attendance was about 6,271. That was what was announced at the match. Um, but then when the cameras would pan up and look around the stadium, the place just looked and felt empty, uh, watching it just as a TV viewer and you know seeing the pictures come in. So I was curious if you guys felt that that was a good attendance considering um you know that this is a relatively new series in the country and stuff like that or if you're concerned about those numbers what do you think daniel i'll let you have that one first bro because i have talked for quite a while um thank you victor first i, I mean the numbers aren't good it felt very empty um the side that the camera was on was mostly the emptier side it was also in the sun um, my seats were actually originally on that side, but then I switched because I didn't want to sit in the sun and there was plenty of space to move. Um, so it was really disappointing to see the numbers. Um, but as a couple sources may also say, um, it's really just bad timing with also what I said earlier, the NFL being the next day, there was um, college football. Penn State was actually playing, I think, at home that day too. Local rugby, college rugby was playing. I, I, I think Dan Lyle mentioned to me that he said it was a shame. Um, he spoke to some people who were playing for like St. Joseph's or, or Temple or something like that. And they left, but the rest of their team couldn't come. Um, so it's kind of bad playing on that side. Um, it's, it's all a learning experience. It is all new. So I'm not really, really upset about it. It's just it still is disappointing to see. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going, but it did feel really empty. Okay, so that's my cue. But yeah, Corey, <laughs> you are, <laughs> you're definitely right. Um, the venue, again, like Dan said, definitely felt empty. I noticed that he got that ease of changing seats from where he was to where he eventually was sitting down. I think it was the media pass. They just saw that pass and they just did not really question that guy. That makes sense. Yeah, because that's, I remember when I got to my hey, field That's pretty much it, man. The media pass is like a golden ticket to, you know, the golden trough. Seriously. And actually, I did notice when I got to my field seating, I went to the area where Dan was already located, which was um, in area one to four. And I'm looking around thinking, wait a minute, what the heck is this guy at? And then later I texted him, dude, I don't see you. I said, oh, no, because I'm literally across from you. So... That is the that is the reason why you couldn't uh, you, uh, you couldn't see me. So oh well, okay, now it makes sense. But yeah, eventually I did some crazy hand motions, and he said, "Yeah, I see you." And then I eventually saw him as well. But anyway, so going back to the original point. Um, it, so the thing is, apparently that venue holds a, a talent stadium. We're talking about holds about ten thousand individuals, and there were only. Again, 6,271. So it felt really like 4,000 people or so were missing. So it felt super empty. Now, AEG wanted to sell all the tickets or all seats, excuse me, uh, and could not do so. And that is mostly because the match was was uh, was advertised to existing fans uh, instead of finding a new fan base. Uh, so and on top of that, when I got there, 
I did not saw any advertising whatsoever of that game happening, anywhere, at least in the area of Philadelphia where I was in. And I talked to some of the locals and they had no idea of the existence of the match or the importance of the match for that matter. Now, in my opinion, the respective authorities need to push for posters and billboards whenever possible. Of course, I know probably A&G nor Premier Rugby have probably the money like, let's say, a USA Soccer does if, when advertising games for the Philadelphia Union or if they have an international match in Untalent Stadium. But I guess passing out or putting posters around, I'm, I don't know how much that will cost, but hopefully if you turn it from pounds to dollars, it should not be uh, that much. Now, in terms of the numbers, the numbers that Falcons usually get when they play in Kingston Park are usually around the same numbers that they get or that they just got in talent, which is not good. They should have been a lot higher in in comparison. But yeah. and by the way, and going back to my my seatmates on from on field uh, seating, uh, the complaint really that if the game should have happened in NYC again for it to, to get bigger numbers. And that could have been true. I'm not sure, by the way, if the NFL or college football season had any effect on the low turnout. But I think lack of advertising definitely play a role on that. Yeah, that's my piece. Well, and I'll just uh, follow up kind of my question by making a quick statement here. And that's that I really feel like for rugby to grow in America, we got to make this a spring game, not a... Uh, fall sport and I know we've talked about this before it was even mentioned earlier in this pod but uh, I, I'm really glad that MLR is looking at the spring and early summer as their kind of prime time for competition and I think really what we're going to be attracting is people uh, potentially football fans uh, who really enjoy the contact sport the energy that uh, you have with football but you know you're got a few months off there in the spring when you're not doing anything. So I think that will potentially pull people in. And I think obviously we know that people will attend uh, games. We saw that with the um, all blacks and Irish in uh, Ireland in Chicago. I mean, that thing was huge, thousands and thousands of people at that. So it may be a problem with uh, just not a lot of people know the premiership as well as like the national teams as well. You know, there, there could be any number of things, but once again, it just reemphasizes to me uh, that need to stick with spring for MLR. And I'm glad that's where we're headed with that. Also correction, um, 18,000 talent, not 10,000. My apologies. Yeah. So when it, when it comes to like creating a commercially viable product, a third, like the way TV works in the United States is you have to fill your stadium. Otherwise they black, they black you out, which is weird because when we, I mean, that's probably why super stays on over the, over the top streaming via watch at ESPN app. So I, there was some advertising done, probably the same exact billboards, that United World Sports uses for the CRC. Uh, I only saw, I only had a picture of one. So there was, I would say there was probably four, but they only went up a month before the match. But you, I would just like to point out that 
USAR doesn't even use traditional advertising right now. They don't put ads in the paper. They don't put up billboards. They only like plug and play with Facebook. And for the way that works really is it, it goes based on your likes. So if the vast majority of people in a test area don't have a like for something rugby, they're not going to get targeted by, you know, Facebook ad fan. And, you know, talking to Dan and he said this in the, the next episode of lineouts that will come out that uh, Victor and Dan put together, uh, as he said in the, the one we did two weeks ago, this is the beachhead. And now they need to do an assessment because they had signed a, they'd signed a three-year deal with the premiership. So how does this, how does this a fall game fit? Well, a fall game probably doesn't fit that well based on the fact that where you chose to play play was, you know, a couple hours away from state college, Pennsylvania, and there were a hundred thousand people in that stadium watching Penn State football. Countless others are in state college just for tailgates and just hanging out. And then Penn State foot, Penn State rugby, both men's and women's, also had home matches. So you had big draws. But the idea is to develop a commercial product, and we can't be relying on just our player base because our player base isn't always going to be a consumer. I think that six thousand on a day that had local colleges playing football and especially the biggest one locally, 6,000 is probably successful. That's what I think. So I'm going to call this a win for the execution, but I just think the fall does not fit with, uh, you know, our, our seasons when it comes to sports in the United States. Yeah. That is kind of really important too. Like I was, I was talking with someone from premiership rugby afterwards and it was actually on the TV in the VIP bar section area, Penn State game. And then I was just talking to him about, you know, everything going on that day. And it's like, oh, and Penn State's playing today. He goes, oh, they are? I didn't know. But you also have to take into account that a lot of them are not from this country. So we have four major sports, but um, college sports also make up a lot, like especially basketball and especially football. So we really kind of have six major sports, whereas a lot of countries have maybe two. So just the, the entire idea of the sports culture is tough to really wrap their heads around. I don't follow college football much at all, and I, I don't really understand that much, exactly how much it draws or exactly why it draws so much. I also went to a school that had 3,000 students, so I guess that kind of happens when you go to a school that's small. But if I can't even really understand it too much as an American – was around it a lot more than I'm pretty sure that a lot of people who are from outside the country planning this don't grasp that. And it's not really hundred percent their fault. It's just, they don't really understand our customs as much. Yeah. When, when it comes to college football, you got to think about it in this term. So uh, Corey, how many, uh, how many people fit in the, in the stadium in Iowa city? Oh gosh, you would ask me that. Um <laughs> I'd have to look know. it up. I honestly don't know off the top of my head. Uh, at least 60,000. Yeah, so uh, the first mat, the first football game of the year that uh, Michigan held, which was – they had a home game the first week. They had 111,000 people in the stadium. So that doesn't Iowa count. 70, Iowa is 70,000. Okay. So they don't – that doesn't count, you know, all the people because people just go to tailgate. I never understood that. But if I'm going to tailgate, I'm going to the game. 
but people just go to the stadium to tailgate and that's what they do. And they watch the game on their TV and out in the parking lot and they do what they do that. So you got to think about how many people in America between division one, FBS, FCS, division two, division three are watching football either on the television or at their college or the college they root for on a Saturday in September. We're probably talking, you know, 50 to 60 million people. And, you know, that's, let's say 20% of the sporting populace that loves contact sports, like of, of the populace is out there watching contact sports. So that's, that's the market you're trying to break into in September. And I got to say, that's a pretty hard obstacle to surpass. So that's where I think based on the market factors, 6,000 was successful. That's what I think. Yeah. You also have to take into account, and I don't want to go too much way too into this because we're kind of saying the same thing over and over again, but like, I know plenty of people that just didn't go to my cousin, for example, didn't go to a big school and went to the same as mine. However, every Saturday he's on his couch, just watching the 300 football games they're on. And that's just what people do. They go to the bar, they hang out with friends. They have no skin in the game, but they just enjoy the entire idea of it or the atmosphere of it. So just someone like them who have never even seen a rugby match before in their life or even seen someone hold a ball. They like they have no interest in switching over to, to rugby when they're already doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can, we've taken this one and I think we've run with it uh, proverbially and, and literally. So um, I want to kind of redirect us here a little bit, if you guys don't mind, Aaron, I know you've been hearing some stuff out of, um, Austin Elite. So we've got a new coach down there. What's going on? Yeah. So, uh, so Lafayette retires. Uh, the assistant coach, uh, Danny DeVillier, uh, came over on an O2 visa. And with the way visas are working, he had a limited amount of time. And, you know, the amount of time was actually compacted based on Lafayette's retirement. Because if he knew about it, he probably could have gotten his visa switched over to an O1. Uh, you know, if, if Laffey decided to retire in June, that probably wouldn't have been an issue, but he basically had 30 days in which I think he had to, he was already planning on going back to South Africa for his own vacation with his family. And he subsequently stayed. Uh, so to, he didn't just, he just didn't have the time with the way our visa system is currently working under, you know, this administration's policies, not there, I mean, not to get political, but that's for people who have been vetted, aren't able to, you know, stick around. So Thierry Dupont, the general manager for Austin Elite, wanted to keep going forward. He wanted to go to the next level. And so I'll talk a little bit more about this in another segment, but Austin Elite have hired uh, Alain Hiardet. He's a He's been capped twice by the French national team. Previously, he coached Perpignan, Bézier, Clermont, Montpellier, um, he took, you know, he's coached pro D two teams to win promotion to top 14. And he took Claremont all the way to the European final in 2006. I think this is an excellent hire. Uh, I did say in my notes, I want to see the rest of the staff, but the update is, uh, James CJ and Pedri are all supposed to be coming back. So the majority of the staff remains the same. Uh, two pods ago, we also talked about Digidus Sport. I really don't know if he's one of their clients, but I sort of think he's one of their clients. But I'll get into 
the relationship uh, in another segment between Dupont and Hyarde. Dan, what do you got? So I don't want to really take away from the other segment, but I can say a good relationship right here. They're both French, so that's really the connection that I can think of off the top of my head. And because they're French, it's kind of tough to find a lot of information about, um, as I'm going to try and butcher his name, Alain Hyarde. Something like that. We were actually talking before the podcast about how you can't really speak any words in French without having a French accent. So it was kind of funny just hearing Aaron try to say all those cities in France, uh, of course, with a French accent. Um, But yeah, I I really couldn't find any information on him that wasn't in French. So unfortunately, I couldn't really read it. So I really have to go a lot based off of his coaching experience and just knowing the clubs he played for. Um, so the fact that he worked for those clubs is really, if that's all I can go on, that's really good enough for me for coming over and coaching MLR. It's not, um, just someone who was stuck in the, in like the American system or it's just someone who was in the American system, but someone who has experienced international rugby, playing international rugby and coaching and playing club rugby for the remainder of his career too. So Victor, do you have something else to go on that? Yes, I'm not too surprised of the hiring of a Frenchman as a coach for Austin League Rugby since, as you guys probably remember, there is a partnership between, really, it was really the Huns and Racing 92, but I'm sure that obviously transitions into AER. Uh, so obviously uh, that helps with the French connections uh, to the club. Now, the this gentleman, uh, let me see if I can pronounce uh, uh, it, Yes. I, I, I hate okay. French so much. I have no idea how much I hate that language. It's so hard to pronounce, guys. Hey. Mind you, I speak Spanish. It should be easy. Hey. French, is, like French is great. All right. I, I, no, I'm not a big fan yeah. at all. But anyways, going back we, to... We, we don't have anything against the French people. I no, 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 no. About this. <laughs> Definitely not. It's not the people. No, no, no. It's, it's just their language. Oh, my goodness, guys. Lord, my, it's so hard. It's beautiful, anyways. okay? I... <laughs> And magnifique. <laughs> no, but seriously. We have so, nothing against French people. We just hate everything they say. It's basically what we're trying to say. <laughs> pretty, much, much. pretty much. Oh, so like, anyways, so like the, this guy, uh, this, this gentleman, the, the coach, or oh, the guy has coached teams that have been or still are in the top four team. And of course, you mentioned a couple of them, Aaron, like Clermont and Montpellier. Well, uh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mention the team in Federal 1 because I... I I was like, nah, that's not worth talking about. <laughs> no, well, no, no, because I, no, I mentioned that because MLR teams are in similar standing to to club teams in in Federal One, so which is third division uh, French rugby, by the way, for those of you that do not know. So him coaching AER is probably similar to coaching a team in Federal One, and I guess if you want to be really messed up, Federal Two, which is fourth division, but I don't think. MLR is going to be that level. At least I don't think so. I think it's probably third, third division because I think probably two it might be too much still for MLR. I mean, people face. still get like a pittance game check in Federal Three. So, oh my goodness, yes, definitely. I mean, you got a little uh, teams over there in like fifty euros, fifty euros this week, guys. Yes, yeah, no, no, seriously. I mean, those teams in Federal One, Two, and Three. I mean, even the other third, fourth, and fifth division, they still have it rough though. I mean. 
People, oh, yeah. I mean, people. Yeah. I mean, I do like the promotion more than top the top fourteen, but I'd say Pro D two on downwards. I mean, that's uh, those are some hard leagues to compete at, and especially to be in a level that you could stay in in your respective league. That's also hard as well. Yeah, so I think that wraps up this segment. We're going to talk about uh, player signings because, man, sometimes this stuff just hits you in the face, uh, as we saw today, this morning. Um, so uh, going back to last week, Nola Gold announced that they uh, signed Sebastian Kahn. He's a, a Chilean. Uh, he went to Lindenwood University. Notably, I mean, he's a back row guy, but he is just a bruising eight man. Uh, played in the Chilean age grade system uh, system up to U20s. And I think he's like eligible to be for selection at the end of October. So he can be, be almost, in almost now. Some people have said about now. So maybe it's like the end of this month, but before the autumn internationals. So he can go to camp right now to play for the Eagles if they decided to have a camp right now and then play for the Eagles and take a cap in November when they go on the two-game tour to Georgia and Germany. So this guy, man, played for the Aviators. He's just – he's filthy. He can hit. He can pass. He can do everything. He also was voted fan MVP on the – Pro Rugby 2016 season as well. What else you got on this guy, man? Well, first of all, I'm super happy for the signing of Sebastian or Sebastian, as I should pronounce his name with a Hispanic accent. So I'm really happy for Sebastian to be on a on an MR team, uh, especially Nola, because as you guys know, we don't really hear much from them. So to say that that's your like your first big signing, I think definitely uh, gets my hopes up that things are not as scream as I think they are down in New Orleans or New Orleans, whatever you want to pronounce that, that word, either with French accent or not. Um, now, it, Calm, by the way, it was my favorite player out of the Ohio Aviators alongside Aaron Spike Davis, which I don't know was – I don't know what's happening with that guy. I mean, he went to New Zealand, nothing happened, and then he came back to the States, and nothing happened. So I do hope someone in MLR can grab that guy. I mean, he's a really good player. I definitely do like uh, the other Aaron quite a lot. Uh, also, uh, Sebastian scored the second most tries in the league uh, after uh, Spike Davis. And of course, like I said, he was voted a fan favorite uh, and also MVP of the, of the league as well. Um, I had the privilege, by the way, having a short conversation with him while he was playing for All Blue of New York when they were playing against the Ontario Blues uh, this past May. And and I told him how happy I was uh, that the Latin American brothers had to play for the Eagles, um, besides having Benjamin Stima, who is of Argentinian exchange. Uh, he was actually taken aback when him and I started speaking in Spanish, he was definitely probably not expecting anyone to speak to him in his native tongue. But um, he was telling me, oh, dude, yeah, I'm really happy for the camp. Uh, I think it's coming up this November. Hopefully, they're going to pick me up. And again, he was really, really glad that I had in such a high pedestal as a Latin American player representing us Hispanics in the Eagles. 
yeah, it was it's uh, it's it's just really great to see him finally picked up with uh with an MLR team. I mean, he was great in pro. Um, I don't think he's gonna play in November just based on the timeline. But ARC, I'd be shocked if he wasn't playing there, especially against Chile because he should know them at least somewhat. He he played with them for his childhood for the most part. He did say that if uh, U.S. The, USA doesn't pick him, he'll obviously go to the Chilean uh, national side, the, the Condors, Los Condores. And yes, he does still have a lot of friends from the U20s that still play uh, for the team. At eight, we we would be like we're we're three deep, so he needs to move to flank because you got Cam Dolan and Samu Manoa. Dude, can yes. you still count Samu Manoa? Because I don't even count that guy. Like he barely comes out. Well, I mean, he's playing, you know, 70 minutes for Toulon. So as long as he doesn't break anything, because he seems to break something right before it's time to get selected. This is on purpose. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no. you know, maybe Sam Warburton does. Jeez. No, Aaron, Aaron, what you should be thinking of is if that, the guy that owns Toulon lets him play for the Eagles. Well, there's that because- too. Maybe maybe so, more maybe Morad Bujale breaks his arm. Maybe that's what happens. I don't know because the thing is that the reason why he hasn't played much for the Eagles is that since he left Northampton Saints to go to Toulon chasing the money, that guy I would have. Hey, I'm, I'm chasing six hundred thousand euros too. <laughs> well, no, no, but I understand his reasoning as to why. No, I don't definitely <laughs> understand his reasoning as to why, guys. But the thing is that the owner of Toulon, whatever, Bourgeois, whatever his last name is, um, that dude is, I mean, he's just an a-hole. And he doesn't let anyone in international play. He's like, oh, I'm and giving he, you this much money. You need to play for my team, which, which is right. Miami RFC. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> Miami. Big <laughs> Miami that never... <laughs> that never materialize. Yeah, going to Miami. All, all nine people from Miami RFC. He's sipped. Yeah, he's still coming, well, guys. It's gonna happen. I got <laughs> I bought my tickets uh, to fly down there already for opening day. I think they're gonna play uh, in that new David Beckham MLS stadium. Oh, dude, that, 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 you know what? That's a really good point, Dan. Oh, really cool. If they if they have the the MLS uh, stadium and then they added rugby team to it, that's not a bad idea, actually. As as Dan usually guarantees. Are you are you giving that five dollar guarantee right now? I'm giving no guarantees. I don't know uh, no, no guarantees on Miami, folks. So, <laughs> all right, we had another signing, Victor. How about this guy, Robert Meeson? That's right, guys. Um, just a few hours before this broadcast, Mr. Robert Meeson, a lock, was signed to the Houston Strikers. He hails from Sebastopol, California, but he considers himself for being from Santa Clara. And he went to Annalee High School, and he played out of Santa the Rosa. oh Santa oh Santa Rosa sorry not Santa Clara sorry Santa Santa Rosa my apologies yes and he played out of the Elsie Allen Lobo as in Wolf in Spanish a rugby club later he started to play for the University of California Davis or UC Davis club and now his club career started out of the Santa Clara Barbara. rugby club. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry, Barbara. Okay, sorry, guys. So, so it's my notes are wrong. Sorry, sorry, Barbara. Rugby club. Thank you for fixing that up for me. Appreciate it. Where he joined the academy, by the way, uh, later on. He's mostly known, probably, if you may know him, from his time with the Sacramento Express coming out of pro rugby. And then after, unfortunately, that went kapoop, as you know, he ended up going uh, to Seattle Saracens. And now he's making his way down 
south to, to California. Uh, also, a shout outs to Robert, because we just found out that he is on our Reddit page, actually. And he commented uh, on, on something that was said about, oh, like, uh, I was in Sacramento for four months. So it's not like they really stole me or something like that. So again, if you're listening to this, Robert, because we know that you're driving down through Arizona State, again, shout outs to you. Yeah, he, uh, he is pretty active on Reddit, and he always seemed to know something, but we didn't know why this guy knew so much about stuff mm-hmm. happening in, like, West Coast. And then the the comment that Victor just mentioned, he said something like, I've been in, um, in Sacramento, Sacramento yeah, whatever, for the past four months, yeah. and I thought he was saying, like, oh, I've been here in Sacramento, and, you know, he's not that good, so he wasn't really stolen. So I kind of responded back, and then he was like, no, I'm Robert Meeson. I was like, oh, so yeah. this guy's not talking crap about him. He is. What a Robert twist. Meeson. Yeah, that was yeah. a twist. I, say, I mean, I haven't seen him play a lot, but I, I know he's a very good player um, from what I have seen. I, I want to know, is he, has he shaved or is he bringing the beard to Houston? Because if he's bringing the beard to Houston, be hot. he might have to uh, go see Grant Cole's barber because <laughs> – he has a lot of different types of facial hair because there's some pictures with like the Tormund Giants Bane from uh, from Game of Thrones, but then there's some where he's got just like the handlebar mustache kind yeah. of combo going on. So I think he's he's going like each game there might be a new thing going on. It's it's possible. So yeah. with this signing, I'm I'm a bit confused by Seattle's tactics. That a he wasn't on you know their side this year like he they just let him go um but they also let sam windsor uh go down to houston and i know you know sam windsor playing for ulster also has you know that ulster connection with connection with fitzpatrick but i mean i've seen them play like you're telling me uh meeson and windsor couldn't raise the level that they're currently playing at right now. Cause uh, I mean, I'm a bit concerned. I don't more or less. I don't think there's really much to it. I think it's just that he went to Seattle. He played with them for a bit. And then for whatever reason, came back to Sacramento. I think he's, he said something about this girlfriend finishing up school or something like that. And then they're going to try and figure out what to do after. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it, they, they weren't the Seawolves, so they weren't paying him. Or if they were, it was just match day fees or whatever. So it's not like he was tied to them and that they were no. revving up. If this happened when they really were getting everything going, then, yeah, I'd be concerned. But he he seemed like he just moved back to Sacramento just to finish up some stuff. And then I think he got a couple offers, at least verbal offers, from a couple clubs, but he wasn't sure what to take. And then... Eventually went with the Strikers, um, which is a solid move by him. They're they're a great team coming up. And actually, I, I'll share this after too. But there was a really good interview with him and the Rugby Republic. So when he was actually with Pro before it, you know, fell to shambles. Basically, there was an interview just going over his entire playing career and all about him. So it's a really good one if if anyone wants to know anything about it. Um, I think it mentioned that his father's actually English, so that's how he learned the game of rugby. But he didn't play until he was in high school, which is still actually a lot earlier than almost every other American who plays rugby anyway, so that is still pretty young. But I'll share that afterwards because it's a really good read too. I made sure to read it again today. 
By the way, guys, the strikers are taking several players and staff from Seattle. And I cannot really imagine them be too happy about that. But what do you think on that? I, I mean, so the CEO for uh, Seattle Seawolves, not Seattle Saracens, but Seattle Seawolves, Adrian Balfour, is from Ulster. So I highly doubt that these guys weren't kicked out. I think that, you know, it was an amicable, um, you know, amicable parting of ways. But I, it, because of the lack of information that we've seen from Seattle, I'm sort of, con- I'm rather confused and concerned. I understand. Um, okay. I mean, I I under, I, everything I'm told is like, hey, amicable, you know, parting of ways, and it is what it is. I but, think also... Not to just cut you off there, but I think also just Houston has a lot of money for their team, um, and they can pay now, and they can pay maybe in the future. Maybe that was the case that Justin Fitzpatrick saw that. Um, so I think that's really why all these moves are happening. It's more that they have the capabilities of paying people, and you'd be surprised what someone would do when they're going from being paid, uh, you know, semi-pro wages to more professional wages. Um, so I think that's really the, the biggest reason why there's this shift. And then I think Fitzpatrick, especially, he saw the capabilities of what they wanted to really build down there. So I think that's really what drew him in and everyone else. So one, one more point about that, though. Um, we also don't know if this preseason that the strikers are undertaking were it was part of the original plan or not. And so if that had always been um, part of their strategy was they wanted to get out in front of this, they wanted to assemble a team and start playing some, uh, you know, D1 matches prior to the MLR season, it's entirely uh, probable that uh, if the Seawolves aren't planning on doing that, if they're just going to be launching at the start of the league next year, they wouldn't need to make all these uh, hires and announcements Uh, right up front like the strikers have the strikers are coming into a new market without really a history so they're trying to establish themselves i feel like um as a new entity and now granted that you know these other teams are technically new entities but realistically they're kind of they're flowing out of existing fan bases and existing clubs so i think the strikers may be uh, also motivated to kind of like I said, get ahead of this and um, maybe go earlier than some of the other teams that have more established fan bases as well. Make a splash. Uh, that's just, yeah, that's just kind of what I'm thinking. I think, you know, I, we, we don't know. Like the Diana Anderson who runs rugby United marketing is a bit of a genius. So uh, I think Houston is a bit of a, a case study in what to do. So we'll see uh, when it's when it's go time, what the other teams in the league do, and you know definitely, you know they're going from scratch. Whereas we've seen with Saracens, now Seattle SeaWolves, I believe the Premier Division side will end up mostly most of that becoming um, their MLR team, and then the rest of their, the Saracens, you know, depth builds up into the BC premier league side. And as we see with, you know, Glendale Merlins, basically the, 
the Raptors coaching staff is right there and all the Raptors players are there. So until MLR launches, we're just seeing, you know, existing organizations fall back on their current structures. Whereas, you know, no, you were, you were still talking. Sorry about that. Whereas like Corey said, you know, um, strikers are brand new. They had no roots. Yeah. Uh, I think also it'd be <laughs> interesting to see Seattle, if they're able to really dig into that BC rugby union, because uh, it is definitely one of the, if not the most competitive divisions or, or at least leagues in North America for club rugby. So I would really like to see if they're able to. I know it's mostly Canadians or all Canadians in that league. So, I mean, I guess we have to admit them to our league. I I don't know if we want them to be here, but as actually um, the guys over at Red, White, and Black Eyes say, it is really important to make sure that the Canadian national team is good, even though we like to really crap on them for Canada Hate Week whenever we play them, it is good for them to actually be a good team because they're our closest rival and it's the easiest to get to them um, for a, a, a club or a, for a national team that's actually competitive enough to actually play us rather than like Argentina 15s. Or until Mexico gets good. Well, yeah, whenever that yeah. happens. Yeah, so Canada go. being good is important. So... So, uh, real quick, Aaron, I know you uh, had a conversation this week. Uh, do you want to tell us about that phone call? Yeah, so I uh, had the pleasure of speaking with Thierry Dupont, uh, the general manager for Austin Elite Rugby. And so just here's some notes that I put together over that conversation. Uh, you know, like I said, they were looking to hire Danny DeVillier uh, originally um, to replace Laffey, but you know, he became unavailable due to like, you know, the current visa proceeds uh, going on at our state department. And they really wanted to uh, maintain the level of coaching they were at and a level that would surpass where they were to be able to go further. And they weren't able to identify anyone in the United States that would fit that. And uh, Thierry originally had met Alain in uh, France when Thierry played with uh, former international player Thibaut Privat for the France U19s. Um, he was, uh, Hiarde was their coach and, you know, they, they had some run-ins here and there, but they really reconnected uh, when Alain became a rugby consultant for G11, the construction company that is building the Austin ground at Nixon Lane. Based on everything, it was about pushing Austin into the next level, which sort of screams a bit like that Mike Ford signing that Dallas had before they went kaput. Um, so it's important, like this hire was about going beyond where they were, thinking about the future. Like they might take some lumps this season, but they wanted to have an elite coach. And, you know, this guy's an elite coach. The facility at Nixon Lane is the intent is to create a top flight rugby center. If you, if everyone was on the email list for Austin uh, this week, they, this last week, they pushed out an email showing you the new renderings of Nixon Lane. 
going to be awesome. And it's still, and part of that is to be still a community hub for the Huns. Although AER is no longer uh, Huns Rugby Management because of an intellectual property issue, like that was the importance to many of the investors in HRM that they wanted control of their trademarks. So, uh, you know, there was a split after they, you know, they weren't able to secure that. Uh, and they would have loved to have pushed the Huns brand forward, but they wanted control of it, you know? And so they decided to go full profit, no ties to a nonprofit organization. So this, and this also like, it separates them from the Huns a bit and allows them to reconnect with the Austin Blacks, which you've seen uh, with hirings from many people in the Austin Black community uh, to administrative roles within AER. And so they just wanted to keep pushing forward and are a standalone corporation. Then you bring in all these professional partnerships that they're making to leverage technologies in order to create a better team. So statistics, GPS, player management, all these awesome things uh, to just put them technologically advanced compared to everyone else. And that's their intent. And lastly, uh, part of, you know, like I said, they're going to be Nixon Lane will remain a community hub for the Huns, like they, they signed a lease for 99 years. So the Huns aren't going anywhere for generations. Uh, whereas, you know, if the person who owned the land, who was the benefactor of the Huns when it came to the land, you don't know what would happen if he had passed away and did not say join uh, Huns Rugby Management and Austin Elite Rugby. So that community connection, like I said, allows them to put roots in all of Austin. So it's really big stuff, I think. Now, guys, um, going back to what you were talking about just now, Aaron, um, I'm still sad, obviously, that unfortunately Lafayette had to leave the Huns. But of course, after looking at the resume, or as I say, outside of the United States, the curriculum vitae, of Mr. Hiarde, I'm obviously going to give him a chance because obviously he knows how to coach teams. And now that you mentioned the Austin Blacks, Aaron, let me ask you this: Will they ever enter MLR as a, obviously as a as a Blacks, or will the AER team be like a non-official fusion between the Huns and the Blacks? So based on everything I understand from talking to mostly Huns people is that you'll still like, you'll see, you know, developmental players probably playing in the, on the Huns division one roster. And I would say that you'll probably see that on the blacks about three years ago before pro got off the ground when it was being like negotiated because the previous uh, holders of a licensing agreement, a sanctioning agreement, which was also chairman currently chairman Chang the uh, and the mayor of Glendale, they held a sanctioning agreement for a professional 15s league uh, prior to Doug. And uh, it never got off the ground for who knows what reasons, but when the, when the pro sanctioning agreement was being negotiated, which for being what it was, uh, the blacks were invited from what I understand, you know, together. So you would have a derby in Austin 
and I guess it just it was sort of like uh, you know San Francisco Golden Gate saying it just doesn't fit our model. So I don't I don't think the Blacks will ever there will ever be a a club that springs out of them. Maybe there will be. I wouldn't say never, but uh, I mean what is happening at Nixon Lane the Boston Blacks have talked about for a very long time and they've just never done it. And, you know, plowing fields is not a hard thing. You can build three pitches. The hard thing is getting someone to come in here, come in there and crown the fields. And so that you have good drainage, but even then you could do that over a couple of years and you could have three amazing pitches for a community club. So you find plenty of farmers in Austin too that can really plow a field pretty well. I mean, I wouldn't know how it works. I, I'm from New Jersey originally, so we don't have farms in my neck of the woods or woods. Are we like in South Jersey, right, Dan? I guess I'm not from South Jersey. No, 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 no. no I'm asking you. Are we in South oh, Jersey, yeah. right? No, no. They they have farms in South Jersey, but I'm yeah, not okay. from there. No, no. I know. I'm just asking you if if that's where they have them. <laughs> yeah, somewhere out there. Uh, I, I can tell you guys, I've seen a, a field or two plowed in my day, and it is a process. So, <laughs> so, so I, oh, what are you going to say? Gonna, go ahead. So, I was going to refocus us. Uh, so, not only Dan has a bit about Guinness Pro 14 in the US, so Pro 15, Pro 16, and then also a bunch of stuff. The Premiership was talking about. US, a US based team in the Anglo Welsh Cup, which sort of makes sense if it's a pro like 16 team. So, pro 20. I, I, I heard someone uh, call it the pro infinity. They just made like a little infinity sign next to it because might as well at this point. Who knows how many teams could be in that league and they have to change the name. Um, I think it'd be, I mean, I, this pro 14 keeps coming up all the time. And Another article came out in the past week. It feels like forever ago, but it basically just uh, the chairman or CEO, whatever he is, um, Martin Anai, I think that was his name. Yeah. He was, at least the title of the article was, um, we want to be in the U.S. But the actual quote was more like, you know, something along, along the lines of, if, if everything goes along perfectly and if there's no legal issues and blah, 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 blah then we'll consider doing it. And so that's just sort of the same thing over and over again. But basically, Pro 14, at least my view, um, in the short term, I think it's a, a good thing for the, at least the talent for the national team to have a Pro 14 um, team. But then as I was kind of thinking more about it, that really by the time a Pro 14 team would actually come to the U.S., the MLR, as long as it actually still exists and as long as we're being at least – semi-optimistic um i don't really think the talent level and the salaries for them would be that much lower to the point where we want to bring in this other league that will um take our 15 best players as stars and do something similar to what's happening in argentina or in japan and that the death really kind of suffers as a result of it um short term like i said it, it would really be helpful to have better players playing nonstop together essentially the national team, but I think long-term it has worse consequences that I think the MLR just would ultimately be a lot better. Okay, so let me jump into this one. Um, so first of all, uh, the idea of the Premiership putting a, 
a team and a US team in the well rebranded Anglo Welsh Cup. I mean you kinda of have call it Anglo Welsh Cup and have an American team, but in any case. I think that idea will be good. That will be I guess uh, well, I mean, depending on the on the season MLR is played, I guess you could have the champion of MLR entering the the, the tournament and, and and play through it. I guess um, that's that's the best way I, I can I can put it in to to make a sense again to have the 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 to have the season MLR season and then that that's the only way. Now going back to the the Pro Four team coming into the the US. Now I am one hundred percent sure that this is because of the success of the Toronto Wolfpack coming out of obviously Toronto, Canada. Which, by the way, if you're not keeping up with your rugby thirteens or league, um, Wolfpack, by the way, uh, one promotion to uh, to the championship, which is second division rugby league in England. I'm expecting obviously good things out of them from from there, and hopefully they're going to get more American players. It says Ryan Boros and Joe Joe Eichner, I think his name is his last name is pronounced. Now, the of course it depends obviously on which players are signed to the team and how the culture is created for the American team to be successful, or at least American franchise to be successful. Now I really want this franchise obviously to be a winner and not just entering the, the, the league just because of the advertising money, although I know that's what Pro 14 is looking for, obviously. Uh, now, the last thing, though, Pro 14 needs is another new uh, Newport Wind Dragons or Benetton Treviso or Zebra because those teams uh, heard the league. Garbage. It, it, well, I, I didn't hey, want to use that word because that's really good stuff. beat Edinburgh this weekend, right? Yes, I heard. What was, Aaron, what was yeah. that? 2017. Who did they beat? Oh, 2017. Yes. Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah, Edinburgh. Oh, oh, Edinburgh. 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 The sister city Edinburgh. of Edinburgh. Edinburgh. <laughs> Just had to make sure to say that. No, but yeah, but again, yeah, I mean, they, 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 so, sometimes uh, Zebra and, and Fabrizio win some games here and there, and also Dragons, but they're not consistent, you know. So uh, again, I want the American franchise to be way better than them. Is what I'm looking for, really. As far as uh, this Pro 14 thing goes, I'm going to kind of take a wait-and-see attitude on this. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of challenges trying to uh, make a transatlantic league out of the Pro 14. Now, uh, they're already uh, making strides in that area, uh, adding the South African teams, certainly. Um, So they'll probably learn a lot from that process. And they've, you know... uh, when they added, uh, I believe there's an uh, Italian side as well for the Pro 14. And uh, so I'm sure they, they've been learning from these mistakes and uh, learning, looking at ways to grow the league. And, you know, obviously America's a big nut to crack. They want to, they want that money. They want to, whoever's going to be the first one in here and whoever's going to uh, be successful is going to be rolling in cash Um not too many years in the future. It's just figuring out who's going to be the first one to make it there. So I'm going to take a wait and see on this and hope for good things. Uh, I I don't think it's going to hurt us. I don't think it's going to hurt MLR at all to have that side in the States. Um, The only thing, you know, you run into is sometimes you start dividing your audience, but this is only going to be one team in one city. Uh, So initially I don't think it's going to be an issue if they uh, start looking to expand 
I, I don't know that that's going to happen necessarily, but if they did, then, you know, you might start worrying about uh, fragmenting your audience, your very small audience uh, into multiple pieces, one MLR, one Pro 14, and heaven forbid uh, the premiership, you know, comes over here and or uh, rugby league opens a, uh, a franchise in uh, U.S. side instead of a Canadian side. So, you know, there's a lot of things that could go wrong, but I, for right now, I'm thinking the Pro 14 is not the worst thing uh, that could happen to us, certainly. So, Aaron, what you got? I'll be quick before Dan hits up the tweet of the week. Apparently, I'm, I've been nominated as the tweet of the week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, when it comes to the Pro 14 and Aviva, they just need to put up or shut up because they've been opening their yaps for, you know, a decade. And they haven't, you know, found either the right partner or found one of their own billionaires to own a franchise here. Uh, when it comes to the Pro 14, they're owned by their provincial unions. The teams are. And USAR ain't got no money to buy in for a 50% stake into the, of a team to do this. Uh, so, I mean, who's their partner going to be? And I remember a partner reading about it in – you know, um, like a while ago, one of the partners for the DC franchise was going to be a former U.S. Eagle who owns a bunch of car dealerships. I, I'm sure that's great for personal wealth, but I don't know how much that will like deal for you. What kind of it, cars? Like Chevrolet, you know, like mm. three owns like three Chevy dealerships, and uh, you know, I don't know really what that leads into being able to afford a transatlantic rugby franchise. And we'll get into, you know, the the Toronto Wolfpack versus pro stuff in a minute after the tweet of the week. So, yeah. Dan, all yours. So the, the, the tweet of the week, which um, we were referring to it as the tweet of the week um, over email before the, the podcast. Um, so, jokingly, I said I nominate Aaron is the tweet of the week, but the tweet of the week comes from uh, Saracen's account. So during the actual premiership match that took place in Philly, uh, some of the Saracen's players, or I guess just Saracen's, I heard that it's not the Saracen's. Um, some of the players helped a fan propose to his fiance, or I guess now his uh, fiance. Um, apparently Victor actually um, yelled out, go Springboks to him because of his South African jersey. Um, I didn't notice that. Um, I wasn't always with Victor, but Victor also yelled at probably every single person he saw that was wearing a, a special-looking jersey. Um, so anyway, before I really delay this this tweet of the week, um, the cards spelled out, Sind, will you marry him? And then the actual Saracen's Twitter page wrote, when the Saracen squad take on the role of Cupid, ring emoji, arrowed heart emoji, hashtag she said yes, hashtag America. So they, they didn't actually say hashtag America at the end, but I, I felt it was necessary to say that. So again, it was just when the Saracen squad take on the role of Cupid, ring emoji, arrowed heart emoji, hashtag she said yes. So that was just nice because there was a video that accompanied it. And it was nice that they actually helped and got involved with the whole proposal, making a fan's experience happy. And I'm pretty sure that that alone is going to help, in, at least in the future, build a nice new 
they uh, just generation they of just rugby fans created That's cradle cradle to grave rugby fan about to be made on Saturday night. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, yeah, guys, that's wonderful. All right. Yeah, so, sorry, guys. I was going to say, yeah, I did uh, scream a couple of things to a couple of the fans. I like the fact that there were a couple of people with jerseys that were not Saracens or Newcastle. I saw a lot of people with with Bath or Bolf and um, Wasp uh, jerseys. And I, and I would just say, hey, guys, you know you guys are not playing today, right? But obviously, you know, like that is like in jest. You take your opportunity, and then that's it. Oh, of course. Definitely not. Now, unfortunately, I was not able to see the actual proposal, but I did saw the gentleman uh, standing, looking at the field as I was making my way uh, to my seat. But obviously, it's really sweet, uh, a really sweet way for the Saracen squad to help out a supporter. By the way, I did not know of it until today, Monday, uh, when that happened, when I was checking out the Saracen's uh, Twitter page, really. So, and for our awesome last segment of the night. Corey, what do you got? I think it's time for some questions from Bob. I don't know about you guys. So first up this week, we've got one from Eul uh, over on Reddit. And he asks, uh, what do you guys think about the eight clubs efforts on social media? Uh, Maybe compare this to what Pro and the Toronto Wolf Pack do and did and uh, at this stage in their development as teams. So, yeah, um, I think, you know, we can start right ahead, right away by just shouting out to strikers. I mean, heck yeah. Seriously. Now, well, not all clubs are active on social media as much, at, at least as I would like. But, yeah, strikers, definitely a big example on that, Corey. Uh, Raptors, AR, you hear of them off the not. But then you got NOLA. Uh, which made no noise last week with the, the, the signing of Sebastian Calm and then silence. And then you got Kansas City that has been quiet for a while and that has, has not confirmed their dismissal from the 2018 season, although we keep bringing it up, obviously, but nothing official yet, again. But it seems to they're, me that, that they're we are no longer right. active on social media. Ah, well, there we go. So I think that sort of definitely keeps it away, even though they didn't say, hey, it's not happening because Dallas and, was pretty active on social media with all of their, you know, strategic partnerships. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right at first. And obviously now we have the whole San Diego thing, which we still haven't heard from officially, but I got, and then you got, of course, Utah and Seattle that are here and there, but not much. Now at this stage of the game, pro and TW, the Toronto Wolf back were announcing things left and right. Pro would do like, mention a couple of things and go silent and then go out again. But at least it wouldn't feel like forever like it does with with some of the MLR sites. Uh, but again, nothing too extreme. And TW, again, they kept it a, a lot better than Pro did, in my opinion. Well, for me, I mean, Pro really wasn't consistent with information. I mean, to the point where I thought it wasn't going to be real until about two months out when the players were in camp. And then, you know, then it was very consistent, although sometimes disjointed. I expect November, you know, is when uh, when we'll stop getting our knickers wound up for this. But, you know, key, key point about like Toronto Wolfpack and saying, you know, yes, their, their social media and their traditional advertising are doing pretty well. They're drawing 7,000 a match. 
but that's pretty easy when you're giving out free tickets because the vast majority of those tickets are free. Granted, concessions aren't free. So you give someone $15 tickets, they're probably going to use them. Just something to think about. Next question. It's a fair thought for sure. Um, yeah. So next up, we got Samo3. And he wants to know, uh, have the Strikers put together a squad uh, that can challenge uh, Glendale or Austin? And is there any news out of Kansas City or San Diego? So it's interesting that we were just talking about that. But uh, what do you guys hear? Uh, how's uh, Strikers looking? Oh my God, they're looking like gorgeous, like a, like a like a new crate of Ferrari, if you want to put it that way. So yeah, I think definitely uh, Strikers are looking like the team the team to beat. Of course, uh, I mean, who knows? Probably the other teams may, may come and do a lot better. But again, since to me they're doing uh, the the best they can to again make it quite competitive. Now, in terms of um, New Salem City. Or San Diego. Now I have not. I have so far. I haven't really heard much out of KC since that one thing they said about that they want some of their um, supporters to sort of buy a little piece of the team. And after that, I haven't really heard much of them. And really, San Diego, since the, the news that we have given so far regarding its creation and the LLC, and that's really all we really know of it, at least officially. Um, so until I see what Thierry and LN come, cook up with Austin, I think I would, with the strikers preparing now, um, I think they're going to punch for number two, uh, Glendale, however, I'm, they're the team to beat because right now they've got six current Eagles on their squad. And then they've got a few other dudes with caps hanging around. So they're going to be like churning. They have a big game. I think will be our next match companion. It's on the 7th of October. They host Old Blue. So we'll really see what they can do against another what against one of the top club teams in the United States. We saw what they did to the Arrows. So we'll see what they do to Old Blue and if they do what they did to the Arrows to Old Blue. I mean, like I said, the quality is going to be there mid, like before mid-season that it's better than pro. I'd be really surprised if Old Blue uh, can um, beat the, the Merlins or well, Raptors, whatever you call it. Score. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, bro. Definitely <laughs> agree with you. <laughs> Damn. Definitely agree. For, uh, for me, I guess my answer to the question is kind of another question, is really not – so much have the strikers put together a squad to challenge Glendale and Austin is have Glendale and Austin put together a squad that can challenge the strikers because they're signing a, a, a lot, a lot of quality players. Now, I mean, Glendale last year in the MRC, which is limited, they kind of destroyed Austin both times. So I think they're still way ahead of Austin um, and you can't really, I guess, take them for granted. Um, I remember it was just just like a month or two ago or, or three months ago where we were all sitting here going, this Houston team, do they exist? Are they going to do anything? There's no one on the roster. And then they just made all these picks 
all these signings. They made it public and everything. Um, I'm very high on the on the strikers, but they also made a lot of big splash and a lot of sexy sounding picks. So I think they they may end up being second, but it's going to be tight one and two for for Glendale and strikers, at least for me. Um, and then Austin, I really will think is number three. Maybe if they can if they can beat the uh, the Sea Wolves. If Austin can keep up the um, the momentum that they had going into the D1 championship, I mean, they were the Huns, but anyway, if they could keep that up, I think Austin Elite should be okay. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing, too. Also, with the new coach and everything, they might be going on a huge signing tear, and they do have a combine coming up within the next month or so. They haven't been as vocal about it as the strikers were, but they still have something coming up, so... They could sign a lot of great players and great coaches and get everything together so they can be really, really good and much better than we, we thought they'd be. Once again, I think we're going to wait and see on that. So uh, so just as a quick reminder, I wanted to remind everybody that if you do have questions or you have uh, anything you want to share with us, hop on our Reddit page. Um, it's not our Reddit page. It's the MLR unofficial Reddit page. Uh, but the address there is reddit.com slash r slash ml rugby. And uh, yeah, each week we put up a, a pinned post uh, asking for questions for the show. So if you ever want to interact with us, uh, just just look up, uh, look us up there. So guys, I think we're just about done. So any uh, parting thoughts on our way out here? Definitely go, yes. and, uh, definitely go and join us on, on Reddit. There is a current MLR player who likes to comment a lot on there. Um, it is the official unofficial Reddit page for the Major League Rugby. Um, I know most of our listeners are probably current Reddit users already, so this kind of defeats the purpose, but um, not to brag on at all, but it is, I guess, the most um, aggregate source of all, at least, news about MLR. Not that we're always right, but at least there will be a... Every single time any bit of news comes out, we always make sure to at least post it and then talk ad nauseum about it. But you at least know what's going on if you have no idea what's going on. So it's a good place to start. Also, guys, before I forget, uh, just obviously shout outs to Mr. Meeson again. Hopefully he's listening to this as he's going across the beautiful state of Arizona. Also, guys, uh, before ending the today's broadcast, uh, please make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. Again, you're going to find us as the Eiffel of Dirt Fancast. Also, please like us on Facebook, same name, Twitter. Uh, again, we, I just made an Instagram, uh, so again, follow us on Instagram as well. I'm going to be posting pictures every day of the week, trying to bring you something new and compelling, of course. Of course, add us to iTunes, Chrysler, and iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and all that sort of stuff. So obviously, I have to put the plugs real quick, guys. Don't forget to hit subscribe right Don't down here. Comment here down and here. below, ring the bell. <laughs> All right. The annotations are on. I'm going to be pointing to something to just says subscribe. Right here. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think that about wraps it up. So, Corey, just take us home, man. Good night, everyone. Connect with Earful of Dirt anytime. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. 
Until next time, for Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for joining us. 